The History of Literature podcast is a member of the Podglomerate Network and Lit Hub Radio. As I read through this list, I kept thinking, like, which books are going to turn readers off from reading literature ever again? (laughs) It is one of those tricky books that if somebody is on the cusp of never reading fiction again, this is the book that's going to tip them over. Hello, I'm Jack Wilson. We're looking at the 101 books recommended for college-bound readers today on The History of of literature. Hey, grown-ups, the Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his Fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Okay, I'm joined now by Mike from the Literature Supporters Club. Mike, thanks for joining us again here on the History of Literature podcast. Thanks, Jack. Glad to be back. Okay, so... I wanted you to come on. I don't know if your club has addressed this issue, but I've been looking at this list. It's 101 great books recommended for college-bound readers, and it's put out by the College Board. And the thing about this list, you know, there's a lot of lists out there, and there's a lot of good lists out there, and there's lists that, that frankly, I think are better than this one. But this one is maybe more important than most lists because the College Board is the organization that puts together standardized tests like the the SAT. Colleges and high schools look to this uh, college board and this list. This is a list that gets distributed to high school students. And the idea is that here's a good way to spend your summer. Take a look at these 101 great books or as many of them as you can get through in a summer. And frankly, as I was looking at the list, I don't know what your impressions of it is, but it looks to me like it's getting a little bit stale. Yeah, I... I... I started to mark up my list, and I was just crossing things out kind of violently. <laughs> so I guess maybe before we jump in, I thought we'd go through these alphabetically and, and see what can be 
pruned out and what can uh, what we think should stay and and if we have suggestions i think that's fair that we could propose alternative titles for the list alternative authors but in general i guess we should talk about what we think would make sense for someone to read before they go to college in the summer before they go to college i mean this is a literature heavy list it's uh, mainly fiction there's a few books of poetry and a few plays on here but mainly it looks like they chose a bunch of novels for people to read and I think one of the things, one of the criteria that I seem to, I, I feel is a little bit absent from this list is just relevance. I mean, a lot of the books on this list are books that you would maybe read if you were deep into an English major, but they're not the kind of books that people are going to be referring to or talking about or or that would have ideas in them that are going to be uh, really current and topical. Yeah, it, 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 it begs the, the question, if you're going to read five books that are similar, shouldn't you vary it and read something just way out there that's very experimental? And I, I thought that this list did not have that kind of variety. Yeah, I thought that too. And I also thought it was really short on books. Well, I'll just jump ahead and give an example. Like um, Lolita is not on the list. And I thought, well, if there's a there's a lot more of a chance that people would sort of expect you to understand what is meant by Lolita or have experienced the experience of reading that book. You know, that that would maybe be in the top 10 or, or 15. It certainly would be ahead of many of the books that are actually listed on this list. Yeah, I, I, I felt sometimes that, too, that um, I agree with the author, but not with the book. Like, yes. You know, Orwell, I... Now, I feel like Animal Farm is something you should have read by the time you were fourteen, and that you know you should you should it would be really good to read Down and Out in Paris and London before you know you went to college. That that's a very fun book that captures a lot of his essay essayist tendencies. Yeah, I thought that too. Another one is uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, which is on here, which I think most people probably would have read in high school. I I tended to kind of keep those on the list. I didn't cross those out mainly because I thought, well, you know, 101 books is a lot of books to get through. And if if uh, if someone is, if their heart is lightened a little bit by seeing that they've already read four or five of the books, then that maybe will make them feel, give them a bit of a break as they're approaching their summer reading. Right. And if they haven't read it, then they probably should read it because most of their peers probably would have. Okay, so let's take a look at the list. It goes alphabetically by author. Uh, the first book, though, is above the A's because the author is not known, uh, and that is Beowulf. I actually thought I would keep that one because it was my way of sneaking uh, Seamus Heaney into the into the list. His translation of Beowulf is mm. excellent, and so I would recommend keeping that one. Let me go through the rest of them. So it's it's Shinwa uh, Shebe's Things Fall Apart, James A.G. A Death in the Family, Jane Austen Pride and Prejudice, James Baldwin Go Tell It on the Mountain, Samuel Beckett Waiting for Godot. Saul Bellow, The Adventures of Augie March, Charlotte Bronte, Jane Eyre, Emily Bronte, Wuthering Heights. And let's stop there, even though that's only nine, because that takes us through the end of the bees. So which of those stand out to you as, as books we could do without? I, I was thinking of James Aggie, 
Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's, that's uh, I don't even know. I, I don't know if I've ever seen that in a bookstore. Uh, I have a really old what is used that? copy of it I picked up. It, it's you know, I have a feeling that this list was compiled maybe in the early 80s and was updated maybe once, you know, mm-hmm. around the mid 80s at some point, but I think there was a period where maybe in the 70s or 80s where people looked at James Agee and thought, you know, here's here's a really good writer that we've kind of overlooked and and this book is actually really, really good. And I, I think we've kind of moved on. I, I think he's faded in importance. I can't imagine that anyone would show up at college and have people saying, people assuming that you would understand and be familiar with the themes and the characters in A Death in the Family. Yeah, I mean, talking about, you know, cultural capital, I think, you know, I'm, I, I'm not crazy about a book like On the Road, but, you know, there's something to be gained yep. by reading something like that. And I, when I saw Adventures of Augie March, I, I, I really like Saul Bellow and, you know, Humboldt's Gift is one of my favorite books. But if you're going to encourage people to read Adventures of Augie March, I, I would think that On the Road would, might be a better choice of that yep. kind of book. Yep, I had Kerouac on my list too as as somebody where that book is such a uh it stands for something and it represents something and it's it's such a touchstone in in so many different ways that it I was a little surprised that it wasn't on the list. As far as Bello goes, I was wondering if Herzog or I mean, I know our favorite is sort of Humboldt's gift, but Herzog, mm-hmm. I thought, might be a little bit better than The Adventures of Augie March. It seems a little less dated. Augie March is really old. Uh, I know people people love it, and a lot of people argue that it's the great American novel, so maybe, maybe that's the right choice. I also think Seize the Day might be enough, Saul Bellow, for people mm-hmm. to just get a taste of it. I mean, let's be honest. Nobody's going to read 101 the 101 books listed here in a summer, uh, some of them are, you know, a thousand pages long or something is just be impossible. So when I could shorten the, shorten the load, uh, just to give people a flavor of what an author is about, I, I tried mm-hmm. to do that. So I don't feel that strongly about it because Augie March is definitely a, a great book and a classic and and I, I could be persuaded to leave it as is. Yeah, I mean, and on the list, James Baldwin um, seems like a perfect person to read when you're 18 and 19. Yep. You know, I, I went through this list thinking, when is the right time to read some of these books? And, you know, Camus and Dickens, they seem, they strike me as very high school. Mm-hmm. Where, whereas somebody like Beckett, I mean, yep. I love Waiting for Godot, but there's a lot more to be gained from Beckett when you have the support of a college course. Yeah, yeah, you that's know, true. It's tough to read Beckett in your 40s, you know, yeah. for the first time. You, when you come across this, you, you know, you, you, you're working your job, you come, you commute home, and then you pull out Beckett. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's like a slap in the face. <laughs> yeah, but Waiting for Godot is such a classic and such a I mean, it it gets discussed all the time, and it's it's a good good choice to be on this list. I think. Yeah, and the, the, you know, the, you know, the Achebe that that's an important book, and I mm-hmm. I, I kind of hate it when people use that justification. It's an important book because it, it almost makes it sound like it's 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 otherwise like a crap 
crappy mm-hmm. book. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but its importance carries it. And I, I don't think that's the case with things fall apart, but I, I, I think there, there is when you're 18, if there's ever a time to read important books, it's when you're 18. It's, it's good stuff. I mean, there's a lot of books, um, like now that I look at my list of, authors whose last names start with A or B. You know, if, if I was buying a, a a book for a nephew or something who was headed mm-hmm. off to college, I might go with Kingsley Amos's Lucky Jim because I think they might enjoy it. On the other hand, I don't think it's really required reading. I don't think it's necessarily recommended reading for a college-bound reader. And I think uh, comparing that with something like Things Fall Apart, I'd I'd be more comfortable including things fall apart on the list rather than lucky jim yeah i mean lucky jim is one of these books that you can read on the beach yeah and really adore but you know and i felt the same about um some of the more almost like i consider them entertainments like london fields or handmaid's tale by margaret atwood and martinus i mean those books are so entertaining you you know it's you, you can you don't necessarily have to read them at any point in your life, you know, and certainly not before you you're jetting off to college. Yeah. So the one author that I think is really, uh, really should be on this list is Borges. Uh, I'm, I'm right. surprised that he's not. I mean, that's who I would, if I can only remove uh, James Agee, I think I would replace him with Borges just because... I don't know if the idea is that he's if he just wasn't prominent enough when they made the list or if they thought that the stories were maybe too difficult without the support of a college instructor. But I think people, you know, should be exposed to Borges and encouraged to pick him up. I think a lot of people would find him very enriching. And uh, if there's a a flaw with this list, another flaw is that it has a lot of long – narratives a lot of 19th century novels a lot of early 20th century novels and the idea seems to be that college-bound readers will only want to read big stories sort of dickensian style novels and and maybe that's that's why borges didn't make the list but that would be the person i would add from the a's and the b's yeah i like i like that choice i think some of the short stories are uh, a little little esoteric but um others are so playful and you it's hard to get that that depth of playfulness in such a short story right i have some others that i'd like to add but i'm gonna wait till we go through the next group because i really took a a hatchet to the next (laughs) batch of 10 and so that only seems fair that i uh that i knock some off before i add more to the list so starting with the next one is uh albert camus the stranger then there's Willa Cather, Death Comes from the Death Comes for the Archbishop, Chaucer, The Canterbury Tales, Chekhov, The Cherry Orchard, uh, Kate Chopin, The Awakening, uh, Joseph Conrad, Heart of Darkness, James Fenimore Cooper, The Last of the Mohicans, Stephen Crane, The Red Badge of Courage, Dante, Inferno, Miguel de Cervantes, Don Quixote, and Daniel Defoe. Robinson Crusoe. Well, I want to just throw in that Don Quixote got a got this difficulty rating of fifteen hundred. <laughs> I I didn't even know what this was, but my wife, who who teaches uh, elementary school, was telling me that um, yeah, these, these are the yeah. the ratings of difficulty. 
It's called it's called the Lexile score, and it, it I guess it looks at uh, vocabulary, and I think it also looks at sentence length, and yeah. Now that I look at it, that is actually the most uh, difficult book to read, which I didn't actually think of it that way as I, I was reading it. I, I never finished it, so I, I, I uh, yeah. <laughs> I I actually I, I actually took that book off this list. I uh, mean, <laughs> Henry Henry James is is clocking in at at 1020 yeah and here's here's don quixote at 1500 um <laughs> <laughs> it's a little hard to it's a little hard to believe okay so what out of that batch would you feel okay about removing you know i was surprised at how few of these books i've actually read yeah um, well, that you know, that argues against keeping them in some ways because yeah. you've been, you know, I mean, you were an English major. You were, you've been keeping up with your literature. You're the president of the Literature Supporters Club, and if it hasn't come your way and you haven't felt uh, compelled to read it or that it was necessary to read it to know what was going on in the world, then chances are it's something whose relevance has maybe faded. I mean, the prior list, you know, we didn't mention Austin and. Bronte sisters because it was just such a it felt like such a given to keep them on the list. In, right. in this batch, it seems like the, the the better approach is to say who I want to keep. Okay. <laughs> so I was thinking Chekhov, Cherry Orchard, Heart of Darkness by Conrad, and Dante's mm-hmm. Inferno as three really three essential books um, to to read. Yeah, I would keep those two. Um, I would maybe I would maybe trade out. Uh, Chekhov's short stories for the Cherry Orchard. I think, uh, you know, this list has such a a weird relationship with plays Mm -hmm. and poetry that it's hard to know exactly what it's trying to get done. But I think you could probably, I think most readers who would maybe get more out of the short stories than the Cherry Orchard. Oh, I love the Cherry Orchard, though. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I actually, I... I, I went through this phase where I, whenever I went on vacation, I would reread The Seagull and The Cherry Orchard and The Master Builder. Those were three plays I used to always read on vacation. Well, okay. <laughs> well, certainly, though, I mean, some authors are in here twice. And so yeah. you could probably – I took a hatchet to this section of the list. You took a chainsaw. <laughs> uh, you could probably include The Cherry Orchard and, and Chekhov's short stories Certainly, I think Chekhov's short stories are maybe more relevant and important than uh, The Last of the Mohicans, for example. Yeah. And, and and when you look at a book like Canterbury Tales, talking about important books, and you know, uh, I, as I read through this list, I kept thinking, like, which books are going to turn readers off from reading literature ever again? <laughs> <laughs> and I think, yeah, I think that's true. The Canterbury Tales. Okay, I read the Canterbury Tales. Parts of it are very funny, but it is one of those tricky books that mm-hmm. if somebody is on the cusp of never reading fiction again, this is right. the book that's going to tip them over. Right. I think that's. I think that's probably right. That's a good point. And Beowulf is not like that. I think you can read Beowulf and enjoy it and be sort of pleasantly surprised, even though it's difficult. Canterbury Tales, you're probably right. If someone was just handed that in its entirety and told, you know, here's a book you should read before you go to college, they would probably say, I'll be glad to go to college, but I'm, I'm, I don't want to take any literature courses when I'm there because if this is what college literature is, it's not for me. And so... Thinking about some of the people who, now that we're through C 
and I've got, still got a couple of A's and B's I wanted to to throw in here for consideration. Raymond Carver is not on the list. Oh, that's shocking. I mean, I'm not going to say that Carver is greater than Chaucer or more important than Chaucer, but certainly if you're trying to get a high school student who's entering college and to give them a sense of what literature is all about and what they might gain from literature, most people would probably find more in Carver than they would in Chaucer, I would think. Yeah, and I I mean, we should do an episode on best short stories, favorite short stories, but um, Carver's Cathedral, I think, is, is mm-hmm. just one of the outstanding contemporary short stories. Yep. So, Carver, and along those lines, you know, I also had a few that, that maybe aren't classic in the sense that, you know, they're, they're not someone you would see on Masterpiece Theater or something. But Sherman Alexie is a really good writer who has a really some really good collections of short stories. And I think he's somebody who could get people excited about literature and about what literature can do. I thought Elizabeth Bishop would be a nice person to add to the list here in the A, Bs, and Cs uh, because her poems are so beautiful and because... They sort of speak to people, current people in a way that some of these other authors maybe don't. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And, and, and you know, Bishop is someone who is very readable. I almost feel like they should have a, they have this Lexile index. We should have like a readability index. Right. Um, you know, like something, something like Awakening by Kate chopin i i read that in high school and i i think you know going back to what i was saying about when is a good time to read it i think i was too young to read that mm-hmm. and you know that's a that's an important work I, I didn't strike that from my list i didn't write bleh next to it like i did to the red badge <laughs> courage uh, right but i i i think you have to be in a certain maybe not necessarily a certain time in your life but a certain mood in your life mm-hmm. to read the awakening yeah, and speaking of, uh, like you had mentioned before, books that are all kind of the same and then you kind of want something that's a little more out there just to see some boundaries being stretched, uh, Calvino would be another person you could add here. You know, there's there's such a, a bias towards realistic fiction yeah. that um, having people who are a little more out there. Billy Collins is a, po- a poet that I kind of thought for this list. I I don't think he maybe has the 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 gravitas that it, it, to, to really belong on this list, but he's somebody who, if you catch the right person, you know, the right young person at the right time, yeah. it opens up something for them. I, I, you know, I actually was reading some Billy Collins this summer and thinking how I had gone through this phase with him. I had fallen in love with his poetry, and then I started to think that I read, personally, I read too much poetry, to mm-hmm. like someone like him because <laughs> he, some of his poems really strike me as poems, poetry for non-poetry readers. Right. But maybe that's a good thing for someone who's 18. Yeah. So. Yeah. And a, a poet, one of my favorite poets who's not on here is Auden. Oh, um, yeah. And I, I think that's probably just because they have so few poets. I mean, I, I think he certainly has the you know, has the reputation where he would have been on the list if it had been more of a, a fiction and poetry list. But he's not on. An author I wanted to bring up because I thought it would open up a, an interesting discussion for us is Isaac Asimov, who certainly 
has no uh there when you read the list you know there's no chance that he would have been on the list but it does uh open up the question of you know they they have no genre on the list really and they have no mm-hmm. science fiction they have no very little what of what you might call fantasy fiction in a way it kind of plays into that stereotype of of those of genre books just not being as important or as serious but if you're trying to you know inspire college bound readers it does make me wonder if if there should be a little more of a nod to other types of fiction yeah, i mean i always try to keep things keep something like that in mind when someone asks me for a book recommendation because you don't want to mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not intellectual that they i don't think pale fire would be a good recommendation for a person for, for a particular person. It just means that, you know, given all the host of factors in their lives, Pale Fire is just not the book for them right now. Right. And, you know, having Asimov, I agree. I think that that's a, you know, if the idea is to get people reading as much as they can, I think Asimov is, is, is just so engaging. Exactly. And, you know, for for a certain type of 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 person just the fact that that's included you know would be uh an important statement to them that that literature is broad enough to include all different kinds of concerns and interests um but that there can be also that there there can be a difference in quality uh between the best of the genre and you know just the run of the mill yeah uh, science fiction book I mean, I was going to say, I, lo- I love book lists of books. And, um, the reason I do is because I never take them as Bible. And I, I always love lists that show like uh, eclectic choices. Right. Instead right. of, instead of just, you know, war and peace. And th- this list has war and peace. And I almost, as I was looking at some of these books, I almost thought it was like a joke that <laughs> they, they had included war and peace, um, Swan's Way. Um, portrait of a lady <laughs> and then my favorite the mill on the floss <laughs> i was like are they kidding me <laughs> so what do you think i know donald barthelme is another b author i know you would you would kind of surprise me here's what i would have said about barthelme i always thought that his stories were clever and and amusing and interesting but they maybe didn't have the the focus on the human condition, the way that a lot of these books seem to be focused on, they seem to to be um, really exploring, you know, the inner lives of of particular characters and and um, almost making a, a statement about humanity, or or I guess if that's the right way to put it. But you had you had mentioned that a Donald Barthelme story really moved you, so I wonder if if maybe I've missed something with Barthelme. I I tend to I'm drawn toward his stories that are either failures, people people as failures, or you know unrequited love. Or my favorite story of his is School. I don't know if you remember School. It's mm. it's um it's about a page and a half, and it's about a teacher who teaches I forget third grade or and. Um, the the class has projects. They adopt certain animals throughout the course of the year, and each animal dies. Right. 
And, I do remember that. And the teacher has a teaching assistant who's <laughs> who's a woman. The teacher is a man. The woman is is pretty. I mean, and the kids kind of ask the teacher about love, and then they ask them, the teacher and the assistant, w- would they kiss for the class? And <laughs> right. <laughs> and then they end up the class ends up sponsoring a little Korean boy in Korea which as a Korean I feel like I, I have the right to laugh hysterically at this um, <laughs> and then the boy dies oh and then the story yeah. and then the story and then the class adopts a goldfish and then the goldfish dies and then the story ends oh and, yeah and I I find I've already read this story about six times I, I find each time I read it in a page and a half to cover such hope and such distraction. Right. Like that's what life needs distraction, but then death is always there. And then the cycle of death is perhaps best represented by goldfish because goldfish die all the time. Right. That's (laughs) what they're there for. Yeah. So like, don't worry the gerbil that died, the dog that died, the Korean boy that died. Now that was like that, that was a project gone awry. That was like bad teaching, but I so a story like that. I think he has a couple of stories like that where, like, there's a Vietnam War vet that goes back to elementary school, goes back to fifth grade, and falls in love with a girl next to him. And I, I think some of his stories really do capture this weird, dark moment mm. that's more human than than just funny. I mean, he's very funny. And, you know, that brings to mind something that I also thought for this list, which is it would be nice to include sort of a reader, you know, like mm-hmm. like uh, instead of the entire the mill on the floss, you could have 200 pages of excerpts of five or six different authors' best stories. Right. Some other people before we move on here that I... I considered for the list and you could maybe talk me into giving them more consideration. Isabel Allende is a a pretty strong candidate. Paul Auster would be an interesting person on this list. Sandra Cisneros, uh, J.M. Coetze. And I think, I think we've mentioned all the other Julian Barnes and Charles Baxter. I had both of them on the list of uh, sort of on my short list. Yeah, Oster is somebody uh, 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 that everyone's read. Yeah. I mean, he must, I don't know what his royalties are like, but he must be like the best-selling literary novelist of our time. I wonder if he is. Yeah, and I wonder how people view him in the Academy, if it is somebody who, he'd be somebody who I think would be familiar to people like at the dorm cafeteria. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm be somebody that I think that was probably the case 15 or 20 years ago that professors would be like, that's what they'd be reading in their spare time. Yeah. One of my favorite pastimes um, twice a year is I go up to the bookstore by Columbia that stocks the course books. Mm. And mm-hmm. I always like to see what course, because Columbia, you know, where I went to university, it was very conservative. So they, they really didn't have any fiction past, I mean, probably past, you know, bellow um, but at columbia uh and uh, probably a lot of universities they have a lot of modern books and right. um so many courses over the years i've seen uh assigned the music of chance by paul oster yeah yeah 
It's it's one of those, and you know, that's one of the the other things I thought about as I was going through this list is sometimes you would get an author who clearly loves books so much and loves reading, and the book is kind of about literature in a way, and so right. it kind of makes it it gives it a nice spot on the list just because you know that someone reading it will be inspired about literature in a way that goes beyond just the book itself. You know, going back to, you know, who makes these lists, I, I thought Don Quixote, I've never really enjoyed Don Quixote, but I, I also thought that that's an example of a bit of a lazy choice because um, like Confederacy of Dunces, I think would be a better slapstick mm, right. choice for an 18 year old than Don Quixote. Yeah, that's probably right. And now that I think about it, Borges can kind of give you, there's got that great Don Quixote story. Maybe that's all you need. (laughs) (laughs) I love that story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's look at the next batch of 10. So we're now in the D's. We have uh, Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities, uh, Dostoevsky, Crime and Punishment, Frederick Douglass, Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, Theodore Dreiser, An American Tragedy. Alexandre Dumas, The Three Musketeers, George Eliot, The Mill on the Floss, Ralph Ellison, Invisible Man, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Selected Essays, William Faulkner, As I Lay Dying, and William Faulkner, The Sound and the Fury. How did you handle this group of 10? I I, I think I kept most of this. Um, I, I knocked off American Tragedy, which I've, yep. read, which I've never <laughs> read, but I, I feel like I've... I've I read enough of Sister Carrie to just <laughs> ne- never want to give Dreiser another chance. Um, yeah, I think I think Dreiser is. Uh, I think he is now faded in, yeah. in in importance. I'm sure he was probably on the edge when they were putting together the list, but you know, people still thought, "Well, isn't he that important guy that we all had to slog through when we were in college?" So let's keep him on there. But he, you can do better. Than, than to pick yeah. up Dreiser. I would replace Mill on the Floss with Middle March. I think if you're going to read a Mill on the Floss is not a, is 700 pages, right? It's... Yeah, I had the <laughs> I had the same note um, that Middle March would be the one to read yeah. from George Eliot or the one to recommend. I thought uh, Dickens. I would probably recommend Great Expectations mm, instead yeah. of A Tale of Two Cities, but you know certainly. A lot of people would argue for a tale of two cities and and Dickens, you know, you could have ten different different novels on there probably. Yeah. I, I mean, I, while I would keep most of this list, uh, I have to say that none of them particularly um, excited me, you know, other than Crime and Punishment and Invis- yeah. Invisible Man, um, and and if we could have Middlemarch, you know, and so, you know, going back to are these books supposed to get people reading 25 books a year or are they supposed to like trudge through them learn the lesson and then be able to discuss it yeah well here's the person i want to add to the list is juno diaz it would open a whole new door for a lot of people mm-hmm. um and it's becoming I, I wouldn't i don't know if it's been out long enough to be a classic yet but drown is is definitely you know getting up there as far as 
showing that it has some staying power and that people are still reading it and, and getting a lot out of it and just the freshness of the language and the situations, the scenarios and the characters. And then he, and then he has the, the Oscar wow book, which, uh, you know, was a Pulitzer prize winner, I think a national book award, maybe, or maybe it won both. And, uh, I haven't read that book, but that's probably one that you could ha- you could put on a list like this. I've you know I've never read him. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Well, that goes on your short list, and I'm going to tell you that you, you should read uh, "Drown," Juno Diaz's book of short stories, before you read Dreiser's "An American Tragedy." <laughs> <laughs> I do have a copy of the 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 Oscar Wilde book. A friend of mine read it and loved it, and entrusted uh, me to, to 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 read it and return it to her. So. Oh, okay, good. So another person who I thought would be good on the list, but again, there's this weird thing, this list, weird relationship this list has with poets is uh, Emily Dickinson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe we can count on people having read a few Emily Dickinson poems in high school, but certainly that's somebody that everybody going off to college would be you know, well served to have some some understanding of who she was and what her poems are like. The other person, again, it's a a poet thing, but T. S. Eliot, the the Wasteland would be an interesting poem to have on a list like this because it opens up so much other poetry and it was such a landmark when it came out and And it's short it's shorter to read than the mill on the floss. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean the three musketeers you know, does it like do people really read need to read that novel? I I don't know. I I think people know the story, and I I personally like the Count of Monte Cristo better. But I'm not I'm not sure anybody needs to actually read either of those novels. I, I th- that that book and Robinson Crusoe and Animal Farm smacks of books that you should probably have read by fourteen. Right, right. So maybe if you're one of those kids who is in love with with stories and and stays up all night you know with a flashlight under the covers and you know i think that's how a lot of people kind of encounter dickens and alexander dumas and you know just the those kids who can't get enough of reading and are looking for for big books to read and somebody puts it in their hand and they get the action another one on that that should be in that category is uh robert louis stevenson treasure island which is on here and i found a little bit bizarre that it was included. Mm-hmm. Hats off to Robert Louis Stevenson, but I'm not sure that Treasure Island is shows us much more than that it that they used to write adventure stories at that time. You know, I think Harper's Index, or maybe I just wanted it to be a Harper's Index item, did something about books that are most frequently spotted on the New York subway, and um, it's. I always think of how I never see anyone reading Faulkner. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of thought that too, that I I had a little X by the name and thought, is Faulkner really the one that, that gets two books? I mean, yeah, it's hard to argue that he doesn't deserve a spot at all. Um, especially because I think this is a little tilted towards American college bound readers and, and Faulkner is still sort of one of the giants of the 20th century, but yeah. I'm I'm not sure you need to. The other thing that I thought was a little strange on this list was Emerson's selected essays when we don't have many other essays. 
I don't know that Emerson's essays, certainly they're very good and they're very important, but I, I wondered if those would be the right essays to include if we're going to include one book of essays on the entire list. Oh, I would, um, I would, I would really, I would strongly recommend the Orwell book of essays, collection of essays. That that's a great collection. Yeah, yeah, I had I had that down as well. When we get to when we get to Orwell, you know, the book that everybody is should probably read before they go to college now is, and I I hope I'm pronouncing this right. I've only actually seen it in print, but it's Ta Nehisi Coates. You know that book that he wrote. I think is has is the one that everyone will be, still be talking about and will probably be included in a lot of courses because it it really framed the issues of uh the African American experience today in a way that just kind of traveled through the the literary world like wildfire and I thought Barack Obama I mean his his book of uh Dreams of My Father would be an interesting yeah uh, nonfiction book it, that would probably be a little more topical and, and current than Emerson's essays. But Emerson's essays are almost like philosophy. The interesting thing is they included a classic cultural and historical text section, which I don't know if we'll get to, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know why uh, I would maybe put Emerson's book in there and just free this up for a little more. Yeah, I mean, I, more fiction. They they weren't that many. Um, they weren't many biographies and memoirs, which in my mind read like fiction. So could be listed in the fiction list. Like I just read a I read a history or a history book that reads like fiction. I read a history book um, on uh, Thurgood Marshall's life before he became a Supreme Court justice. Because he was an NWACP lawyer, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he like hid in the trunk of a car to escape the Klan, and he dealt with racist sheriffs and racist news reporters, and it was such an incredible book, and it really had all the earmarks of fiction. And I was right. thinking a book like that, or Dave Edgar Zaytoun about uh, Hurricane Katrina. I mean, th- those are books that. A really good introduction to young readers that history doesn't mean facts. Mm-hmm. Right, and that it it isn't something you have to go back a hundred years for. That it's you know you you can be reading it uh, from the last twenty years. Yeah, I I, I, probably, I probably went through a six month phase where Zaytoon was the number one recommendation I was giving to, <laughs> to people, and they there were people coming back to me saying like, "Who is this Dave Edgers?" And I was like. <laughs> I'm so glad you don't know who Dave Edgers is before you read right. the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be a hurdle you might not get over. <laughs> okay, so let's look at the next 10. We're now, we've gone through the first 30. We're now, uh, this is going to take us up to number 40. So we're in the F's now. Uh, Henry Fielding, Tom Jones, F. Scott Fitzgerald, The Great Gatsby, uh, Flaubert, Madame Bovary, Ford Maddox Ford, The Good Soldier, Goethe, Faust, uh, William Golding, Lord of the Flies, Thomas Hardy, Tess of the D'Urbervilles, Nathaniel Hawthorne, The Scarlet Letter, Joseph Heller, Catch-22, and Ernest Hemingway, A Farewell to Arms. My guess is you crossed a few out on this on this section. And I also just 
just personally, um, like Fitz, <laughs> Fitzgerald, I, I mean, I would read Tender as the Night. And <laughs> Hemingway, I would read Sun Also Rises instead of Farewell to Arms. Um, yeah. Um, Henry. So would you give Scott Fitzgerald two books or would you take off, would you take off The Great Gatsby? Um, I, I guess I would give him two books. Yeah, it it would be hard not to have Great Gatsby on here since it's yeah. it's it it might be the most book that uh, people would assume that you've read in college, other than maybe The Catcher in the Rye. But here's the thing. Or, I'm sorry, in high school. But here's the thing: like The Good Soldier is a much more interesting book to mm. discuss mm-hmm. than The Great Gatsby. I mean, The Great it Gatsby is. discussions tend to be on along the lines of. The American dream, who has the American dream, does the American dream fail? Whereas the good soldier, you know, has the war and relationships and culture and class. And it, it's just less, there's more meat, you know, with a book like that. And so, but, mm-hmm. you know, this, this goes to how readable, um, and how absorbing the great Gatsby is, though. Right. Henry Fielding, I mean, I liked Tom Jones. I, I read Tom Jones as part of a, a course that was 18th century novels. I, I think that's probably the right place to read Tom Jones is once you're an English major and you're taking, you know, you're rounding out your degree, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's it's a book I think a high school student necessarily needs to read on their way to college. I, I, don't, I don't even know what that book is. <laughs> I wrote down never read and will never read. <laughs> My wife thought that was pretty harsh. Well, it's it's I don't know. But I said, must, you know, life it is, must be eight hundred pages. Life is short. I mean, we you know, a serious reader in this. I read that a serious reader reads twenty to thirty five books a year. Hmm. So if you read thirty five books a year, you could read this list in three years. That's three years of reading. Three years, yeah. That's, yeah, we need to definitely improve this list because I'd hate to think someone was going to spend three years on this and and have a big chunk of that yeah. devoted to uh, Tom Jones and not uh, Borges. Well, that's why I thought, you know, having Pinter in here would be mm. a nice pick-me-up to because you can read, you know, The Birthday Party in a day and yep. you, you get a lot out of Pinter. Yeah. You know, I, now I I will say sticking up for Henry Fielding, <laughs> there there was part of me that wanted to add um, Lawrence Stern. Tristram Shandy is another one, uh-huh. and one of the things that uh, is interesting about Fielding, and maybe you only need to read you know thirty pages or something to get this, but the novelists were a lot more playful than you might expect. Hmm. You know, so um, he's very playful with his narrative, you know, and and the narrator will speak right to the reader and will comment on the characters and on the narrative and how it's going so far thus far. And, you know, it's it's very um, sometimes I think people think that all of that is new and that like novelists up until. 1980 or something novelists were these old fuddy-duddies wearing starched collars and ties and and they could never you know the women could never let their hair down and and that kind of thing and it's nice to show that you know there's always been a different range of of authors 
who have taken a, a variety of approaches to narrative and and for every straight-laced narrator there's also people who were already jazzing around with the form uh that, that that's not new that that's not something that was invented in 1975 right yeah we and on this list there's some books that i i feel like i would love if i read them like the thomas hardy i like thomas hardy's poetry and i've read jude mm -hmm. jude the obscure i've never mm -hmm. read i've never read tests but i <laughs> i can only guess i would love i would love that book and um, yep. Nathaniel Hawthorne, Scarlet Letter. Um, I, I think the plot of that. Uh, I, I was at a, I was at a dinner party and someone told me the plot of that and I was really blown away. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to give. It's so suspenseful. It's such an incredible story. Yeah. Uh, but I've never read it. So. Oh, that's another one that should be on your list. But yeah, yeah that is one where just the the story alone is is something. You know that it's it's kind of a cultural yeah. marker. I would add uh, Graham Greene to my uh, to the list of G's. Who? Um, what's that? <laughs> I said who? Yeah, <laughs> and I I think we could probably live without Goethe if we're looking for ones to cross out. Um, I, I think I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever actually read Faust. I think I I saw a production of it uh, when I was in college. Um, <laughs> I like but, I like Doctor Faustus by Thomas Mann, <laughs> but I you know I'm a Thomas Mann disciple, so that's my that's my yeah. Faust. Yeah, you better start clearing some more names off of here because when we get to to uh, Thomas Mann, there's he's <laughs> only got one title in here, and if you're gonna if you're gonna expand that to eight or nine, we're gonna you're gonna need to create some room for yourself. Penelope Fitzgerald, I think she probably she made a little run. You know, ten years ago, people were excited about her, and and she it looked like she might be somebody who might uh, make her way onto lists like this. I think she's faded a little bit and make it sound like a a horse race or a uh, you know, but that's kind of what it is. I mean, a Faulkner you can see is kind of I don't know if this list had been made twenty five or thirty years ago, he might have had three books on here, and now he has two and. And, you know, 50 or 100 years from now, maybe he won't even have one. Richard Ford uh, and Franzen, that's the other mm. F that's kind of uh, needs to be decided upon. Uh, Gunter Gross is a G, and Nadine Gordimer. Elena Ferrante. Yep. She's somebody who, 20 years from now, she might be on here. Yeah. So let's do the last 10 of the 50, and then maybe we'll take a break. Next to Homer, the Iliad, and Homer, the Odyssey. Victor Hugo, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Zora Neale Hurston, Their Eyes Were Watching God. Aldous Huxley, Brave New World. Henrik Ibsen, A Doll's House. Henry James, The Portrait of a Lady. Henry James, The Turn of the Screw. James Joyce, A Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. And Franz Kafka, The Metamorphosis. Turn of the screw. I, I just, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I think that's on there because it's the one that, like, people are able to finish. <laughs> you know, that, like, there's a lot of people who take a crack at James and, and the turn of the screw holds their attention and, right. um, you know, nothing else does. And I would replace a doll's house with the master builder. I think the master builder is is one of the the <laughs> finest plays uh, ever written. And uh, yeah, this I'm not 
I'm not sure I would have uh, any Ibsen plays on here. Really? You know, actually, let's do one more. So we're going up to 51, and mm -hmm. it's uh, Maxine Hong Kingston, the woman warrior. And that'll take us through K, okay. uh, which is kind of a good uh, cutoff point, because I wanted to say that um, Tony Kushner, I mean, if you're if you're going to include plays, I think Angels in America is, is maybe one that would uh, be more important for people to read and more illuminating before they head off to college. Yeah. I kind of think Aldous Huxley, Brave New World, kind of had its moment. I'm not sure that that's that important anymore. It's it's an interesting read, but we have so much now that it would be a little more interesting. You know, it's pre-internet. It's hard to do sort of a, a yeah. futuristic world that's, that's pre-internet. And, you know, there's so many books out there now that would take people in, in different interesting directions. I like the fact that they had that instead of 1984, though, because that's that's also a, a personal preference of mine. I I, mm. I, mm -hmm. I like Brave New World better than 1984. I I I, I took the Hunchback Notre Dame off the list just because it's I, yeah. it's like 3,000 pages long. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know exactly what people get out of it. It's yet another one of these long slog novels. Yeah, that you know. I mean, we've got the Brontes on there. We've got Middlemarch on there. We've got plenty from that century. Yeah. You know, what they should do is have a list of, you know, 101 great books. And that's the list that you and I are putting together with, with all of our choices, which are all improvements over those, this list, obviously. And then they should have, you know, a list of like 25 books that you should go to a bookstore and, and read the back cover. <laughs> you know leaf through leaf through the following 25 books and victor hugo he can be on that list so you kind of know who he is and and what he stood for but if you're if you're inclined to read the hunchback of notre dame that's great but if you're if you're trying to get through 101 great books in the precious amount of time you have before you head off to college i think you could probably do better yeah i mean and and books like The Woman Warrior, I, I've i never read it. I've never felt like reading it. And maybe that's harsh, a harsh judgment. But I, I, I can't help but thinking that I, I'm going to understand what that book's about. And I'm already on your side. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like it's a book that takes, you know, a really um, overt angle. And I know it's unfair to talk about it, having not read it, but... I would much rather see book like Roland Barthes mythologies on this to, if, mm. if, you know, if, if you want to talk about myth making and stereotypes and, mm -hmm. and make it more accessible to people who are, are not Asian. And, right. Um, so my personal thing with books like, you know, immigrant fiction or the hyphenated American novels is I always ask myself, is this book being written for white people? Mm. Because if it is, I don't want to read it. Right. <laughs> and if the book's written for me, then it better tell me something I don't know. Right. And if the book is written for someone, the, the broader audience, that's usually the, so hard to do that if they pull it off, then I'll read it. Mm -hmm. you know? like I feel like Native Speaker by Chang Ray Lee was that third category. Mm -hmm. where, you know, when I read it, I felt like part of it was for white people, but part of it was just 
he was trying to get to the every every man aspect of being an immigrant. Right, right. Okay, well, we've made it through the first 51. I feel like we've agreed on quite a few of these. Yeah, you know, it's as we've gone uh, down the list, now I'm thinking I want to cut more from the earlier part of the list. I think I was being too... <laughs> as being too differential. Okay, that's going to do it for this episode of the History of Literature. My thanks to the president of the Literature Supporters Club for joining me. Did we miss your favorite? Or maybe we crossed your favorite off the list? Get something else wrong? Feel free to let us know by leaving a comment on jackwilson.com. That's J-A-C-K-E, wilson.com or historyofliterature.com or you can write me an email at jackwilson at gmail.com I welcome your feedback welcome I enjoy it I treasure it we're on a slightly shifted schedule a slightly shifted schedule for the summer the best way to keep up with your podcasts is to subscribe you can do that at iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts I personally have a little purple icon on my phone that does the job wonderfully. You just open it up, type in History of Literature Jack Wilson, and there you go. Everything from the Epic of Gilgamesh to Graham Greene, right there, all yours. I hope you enjoy them. Or, if you're not into going through the backlog, you can also be a forward-looking person, a futurist. That reminds me, we need to do an episode on futurism. Anyway, where was I? Ah, yes. Just look to the future. Don't be bogged down by all those past episodes. Just join us now and listen to everything going forward. Like the Romeo and Juliet episode that's in the works. Or Javier Marias. Or part two of this discussion, which, I have to confess, got a little off the rails. I grew increasingly angry at the books on the list, and by the end, I was incensed. Do you blame me? This is a list that would tell a college-bound reader to spend their summer reading Gulliver's Travels and Aesop's Fables and John F. Kennedy's Profiles in Courage. Can we not do better? Can we not at least try to connect literature with the hearts and minds of actual readers to turn literature to something living and breathing, not just a collection of mummified artifacts? There. Go look at the pottery shards and the arrowheads and the mastodon bones. And here you go. Babbitt by Sinclair Lewis. Dive in. Why? Why? Why do we do this? And how can we do better? All that's for a forthcoming episode. All that and more. I'm Jack Wilson. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. 